Hello and welcome to the Career Speakeasy, a casual, fun, and irreverent place to share ideas about career development, the world of work, and life in general. I'm your host and proprietress, Kelly Nottingham. Growing your career should not be boring. So come on in, pull up a chair, and pick your poison. People love to try to figure out who they are. Disc, True Colors, Myers-Briggs type indicators, conflict style quizzes, BuzzFeed quizzes, which season of the year are you based on your wedding dress choices? We humans love to try to understand who we are. We spend a lot of time and self-reflection on identifying who we are on a multitude of spectrums. Gender identity, sexual orientation, racial and ethnic identity, generational identity, communication style, type A or type B personality, what flavor of cupcake am I, the list goes on. Some, dare I say many, of the styles, types of assessments, even the ones that are very broadly known in the business world, are actually based on science of questionable validity. And I don't think I need to tell you that what flavor of cupcake am I is not going to be written up in any academic psychology journals anytime soon. But understanding our identity isn't a wasted exercise. Even if the quiz isn't exactly going to win a Nobel Prize for science, every opportunity we take to understand ourselves a little better can benefit us. The challenge for a lot of us is we keep our true identity hidden sometimes even from ourselves. We are complicated creatures with many layers, like Shrek, and we'll often default to identities that are given to us by the outside. We'll internalize them and then think that we understand ourselves. In fact, we're kind of wired for this. Social psychologist Henry Toshville conducted pioneering research on prejudice and revealed that people favor other people who are in their own group, even when that group is designated randomly or even made up. Groups like a preference for music or art or geographical location or, dare I say it, cupcake flavor or being a rugby fan or belonging to a particular political party or working for a specific company or being part of a specific organization. This research was the basis for what's called social identity theory, that self-esteem is partly derived from group membership that provides pride and social identity. Now, we don't have time to get into social identity theory today, but it's important for our conversation to understand that we know that our identity as part of a group, whatever that group might be, can heavily influence our own self-identity. So what is identity? It's an extremely complicated thing. It's in part the values we have, partly the multiple roles that we play in life. So a spouse or partner, a parent, sibling, employee, leader, caregiver, artist, and so on. Each role has expectations that we've pulled into our own sense of who we are. It's also, and this is important, the beliefs about ourselves that we hold. These beliefs are the foundation of how we interact with ourselves and our world. 
Our identities also change over the course of our lives. What we believe about ourselves when we're a teenager is likely going to be way different than what we believe about ourselves at 30, 50, or 75 years of age. And honestly, I am thrilled about that. I am so glad I don't have to believe the same things about myself at 17 that I believe now. As we gain new experiences and see how we react to different situations and challenges, and as our priorities change, we develop new beliefs about ourselves. What's fascinating about this is so much of what we believe about ourselves stays hidden anyway, underneath all those layers of social expectations, of identities given to us by well-meaning teachers and adults during our childhoods, and we live our lives without spending time examining who we truly believe we are, away from society, away from expectations, away from the fear of who we might actually be deep down inside. Now, how does this tie in with our growth and development? It's probably easier to ask how doesn't it tie in. When we have certain underlying beliefs about ourselves, it shapes everything we do, everything we say, and everything we think we could do. If we believe deep down inside that we're actually not capable of something, we hold ourselves back from opportunities that might prove us right. We won't even consider possibilities because of who we think we are. So here's the key message for this episode. We behave according to who we believe we are. If we believe that we're not a risk-taking type, we won't take risks. If we believe deep down that we don't have talent, we won't try to express that talent. Likewise, if we believe that we are risk takers or we believe that we are talented, we will express that much more often and in many different circumstances. Who do we say we are to ourselves? And what does that say about what we can and can't accomplish in our lives? Now, I hear some of you right now saying, but Kelly, I can't be my true self in all caps at work or in public because I'll be ostracized, I'll be laughed at, or I'll be judged. And I hear you. I get it. So let's take a second to look at two types of self-identities. Based on research by Dr. Shiki Davis on adaptive self and authentic self, we have the adaptive self. This is the self, the identity, that prioritizes fitting in and getting along and basically doing what we're told or what society sort of expects as a base of normal behavior. This self is not wrong, nor is it without value. It helps us be functioning members of society. But according to Dr. Davis, if you're feeling inauthentic a lot, or you feel that you have to hide your true self in situations where it doesn't feel right, the adaptive self is running your life. Now, your authentic self, this is the identity that prioritizes living according to your values and your purpose and fighting for the things you care about. For all but the most enlightened of us, our authentic self is buried deep in our unconscious where it remains pretty hard to identify and let out. And even when we do find it and let it out, it can and will shift throughout our lives. 
So here's an example of the ways we can think about these two types of identity. We like to think we're an indispensable part of the companies we work for or the organizations that we belong to, that they can't survive without us. Uh, We have revenge fantasies of everything falling apart if we're laid off or even if we quit out of frustration. We vent. We imagine how things are failing now that we're gone. However, companies are made up of cogs. Or for my international listeners who may not be familiar with the word cog, you can think about a gear like in a clock. And a company's nature is to continue running whether a cog or a gear is missing or not. Like some kind of weird sentient robot, they morph so that the remaining cogs can keep turning and keep working despite a potential hole left by our absence. We also must recognize that as a cog in a machine, we were forged and formed into the shape that the machine needed. Our teeth, our function, our turning speed, were determined by the machine. And when we are no longer in that machine, they will find another way to get that part of the work done. Either another cog will jump in to be retrofitted into a similar cog as we were, or they'll find a new cog with a slightly different purpose, or they'll find a new way for the remaining cogs to work without even needing an us-shaped cog. Even the CEO cog can be replaced, right? And then the other cogs reform like some kind of steampunk transformer into a new shape, a new machine around that CEO cog. But we want there to be a gaping hole. We want to be missed. It shows that we were valuable if the machine is not running as well after our departure. But the truth is, machines gonna machine. A company is by and large built with interchangeable cogs. It has to be in order to keep running. And frankly, in order for us to be able to go into other machines, we have to be interchangeable, right? Now this can hurt a bit. The feeling that we aren't as unique or indispensable as we had hoped, but our identity as a useful cog in and of itself can show our value. We take the polish we got, the new teeth that we developed to another machine. or We start our own machine where we are the central and sometimes the only cog. Once we let go of the identity of being a super special critical cog, there is a freedom. We're not beholden to a company for letting us cog. We can cog in other places. We can be a different cog and we know we'll be polished and formed in different ways in different machines. In other words, our adaptive social identity can be flexible, but at our core, our authentic self-identity stays strong and true. So let's look at our authentic self-identity in a new way. We can create our cog identity separate from any machine and become a little transformer in and of ourselves, appreciating the polishing for what it is. It doesn't change our intrinsic value. Our cogness, our gearness, is not dependent on the larger machine. We are a useful entity on our own, individually, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. We are valuable in and of ourselves. 
And we are capable and able to take that true self into a multitude of situations and be successful. When we understand ourselves more fully, we can contribute more of our unique combination of beliefs, skills, and experiences into the world. So we're going to look at three ways of digging into our identities today for the rest of this episode so we can start this journey of understanding ourselves and what we have to contribute. Number one. The first is to really listen to what we say to ourselves about ourselves. Now, I'm going to go on record here to say that if the exercises below start bringing up some really challenging, tough emotions or reactions, get thee to a therapist. It really does help to have someone impartial to discuss this stuff with. Our first exercise is something that's going to take a lot of time and self-compassion. We're going to start peeling away some of those layers to reveal what we truly believe about ourselves by writing out what we tell ourselves about ourselves. Now, the messages that we tell ourselves about ourselves come from a variety of sources, parents, family, school, religious upbringing, friends, social media, previous work experience, previous interactions that we've had with other people, either successful or not so successful, etc. We internalize these messages without realizing that they plant messages into our minds that become so normal, so foundational to how we see ourselves that we don't even notice them anymore. It works the same as a white noise machine. If you turn on a white noise machine or you turn on a fan, and you leave it on for long periods of time, after a while, you don't hear the noise anymore. You tune it out. Our brain starts to tune out these thoughts. So we're going to start bringing attention back to them. Grab a pen and a notebook and spend some time with these questions. When you mess up, what do you say about yourself? Now, where did you first hear that message? In what situation? How old were you when you first heard that message that you were saying to yourself? And who said it? Now, when you succeed, what message goes through your mind? Again, where did you first hear that message that's going through your mind and from whom? Do you allow yourself to be proud of an accomplishment? Or do you find a way to downplay it or dismiss the accomplishment? Now, you may find as you go through this exercise, and these questions are by no means exhaustive. This is just to get you started. But you'll find as you go through this exercise that other beliefs start to pop up. Make sure to jot those down. You don't need to tackle them all at one time, but it's important to catch those fleeting thoughts. They may show up as things like, see, you'll never be a good blank, or Blank isn't meant for people like me. Those can lead you towards some real layer peeling. So don't let them fly by without at least capturing them and jotting them down. Now, if you're having a difficult time digging into this, be patient with yourself. These are the kinds of thoughts that we don't normally face unless it's 2 a.m., we're exhausted after a long week, we're feeling really down and blah, and suddenly our minds go into overdrive with everything we ever did wrong and why we're a horrible person. Those are the times not to examine, 
but at least to capture those thoughts, those reminders of our past successes or failures. Wait to examine until it's at least daylight and you've had some caffeine. We don't want to go down a despair spiral. Now, please also note that this is not a one and done activity. This is something that we will continue to examine as an ongoing process. Number two. Once you start to identify these underlying beliefs about yourself, it's time to determine if they're actually objectively true. As in, do you have proof that you're a failure? And is that proof actually conclusive? Or is there proof for the opposite argument too? Now, personally speaking, I found that when I started digging into my own self-beliefs, a lot of them were based on my own interpretations of experiences from my childhood. When I sat down and questioned what was actually happening in the situation, it was easier to see that most of my negative beliefs about myself weren't actually based in fact. They were based in the stories I was telling myself after the experience and the way that I interpreted that experience that was creating the beliefs for me. Now, there were certainly things that I discovered that were true that weren't really great about myself, but I had learned from those experiences. And frankly, I had punished myself mentally and emotionally for making those mistakes so many times over the course of my life. And I had held myself back because I was punishing myself that it was okay to let go of that as long as I acknowledged that I should never make that bad choice again. Number three, the last step is to start paving the way for a new set of identity beliefs. Now, it's way faster and easier to say that than it is to do. This takes a lot of time, just like creating a new highway or a beautifully paved road. You have to tear up the old road first, bit by bit and chunk by chunk, move it out of the way level everything back out, lay a new foundation, and then over time, pave that new road until your mind can zip right down the new road at top speed to the new destination of your new identity beliefs. A lot of people recommend doing affirmations for this. Now, if you're not sure what I mean by that, an affirmation is saying something to yourself, usually daily, that helps to build a new belief system. The problem that I personally have with affirmations is that they're usually so different from your core beliefs about yourself that you feel either completely ridiculous saying them or your brain immediately fights back with a counter argument. So for example, if your affirmation is, I am strong and healthy, but you haven't lifted weights in 10 years and you eat pizza every single day your brain is going to make fun of you and laugh and ridicule you and mock you every time you try to say or think that affirmation. So here's another approach. Since our brains like answering questions, let's ask it some questions. Instead of saying an affirmation like, I am strong and healthy, instead ask the question, how am I strong and healthy? And then let your brain seek answers. When we form our affirmations this way, it causes us to examine our beliefs and behaviors and can take us out of that black and white, all or nothing thinking mode of I am either this 
or this. It allows us to see our progression on a growth pattern. And as we begin to build that new road of truer identity beliefs by answering these types of questions, we're building proofs for ourselves of what is actually true and what our true underneath authentic self actually is. All right, so now it's time for last call. We're going to start with the three steps we discussed. Number one, identify what you say about yourself to yourself. Try to get through that white noise. Number two, decide if it's actually true and whether it's 100% true. If there is any truth to it, that's pretty doubtful that it'll be 100% true. Number three, ask yourself a how am I question. It can be either a positive belief, how am I capable, or it can be the opposite of your negative belief. So if you think you are not a resilient person, you can ask yourself, how am I resilient? Now, over the next week or so, also try to notice which of yourselves is popping up in different situations your adaptive public social self, or your authentic true self. There will be times when one pops up and then the other one pops up in a different situation. Are you happy with the balance of adaptive and authentic? In what situations are you perhaps being more adaptive than you would like to have to be? So that's it for this episode, everyone. Take it easy on yourselves as you do these activities. Please be kind to yourself as you work through this identity question. And if you get super stressed out, go take a break and do a fun quiz. Find out where you should go on vacation when we're able to go on vacation based on what furniture you pick out for an imaginary apartment. And if you would, please take a moment to rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps for new listeners to be able to find this podcast. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye. Well, thanks for joining me. If you have suggestions, feedback, or just something random you want to share, email me at careerspeakeasy at gmail.com and come visit again soon. Cheers. Cheers.